My name is Stephen Salvis. Uh, as you heard from Dennis, Pastor Bill and his wonderful wife are in Maine. They are visiting family and looking forward to this evening together. Uh, and I know that pastors are very protective of this space on Sunday mornings. So I appreciate the confidence that Pastor Bill has in me and in the other elders to share this series on Hebrews 11. We're talking about faith. If you remember, how did Pastor Bill define faith? Oh, this ain't good. Come on now. What? Obey. obey obedience. Obey. Mike, was that you? I thought so. Faith is obeying God despite your feelings, despite your circumstances, and despite the consequences. That is faith. Faith is obedience. Years ago, 25 and a half years ago as a matter of fact, I was uh, 28 years old. And Blair was pregnant with our son. Uh, Lindsay was a year and a half old. And I was at a crossroad uh, in my life. Uh, I had been accepted to seminary at, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. We had sold our house. We were preparing to go. And I was suddenly uh, deeply conflicted. Uh, because I wasn't sure I was going because the Lord was calling me to go or because others expected it of me. Uh, and I, I really wrestled uh, over this for some time and determined that at 28 years of age, I was not ready to go into full-time pastoral ministry. Uh, and I backed it up and took a different route. And I had someone... Uh, very dear to me, question my faith. And that hurt me. He didn't question my salvation, but he questioned my faith that I wouldn't go to seminary to prepare for pastoral ministry. I hope that through this message, I'm going to address a little bit of that. The title of my message is The Walk of Faith, and we're using the uh, life of Enoch as our example. So if you would, please, take your Bibles. This is Steve Salva's preaching. You can see from the screen. So I need you to take your Bibles today. Turn to Genesis chapter 5, please. Genesis chapter 5. And if you're like me, you probably have um, a bunch of things in your Bible. I've talked about this before. I've got pictures and bookmarks and everything in my Bible. So take one of those, even if it's your bulletin from today, and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Put your bookmark there, because we're going to start in Genesis 5. 
But if you would, from Hebrews, turn to the left a few pages. You want to find the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Stick something there if you have something. Maybe it's your finger. And then turn to the left one more time to the book of Colossians. Genesis 5, Hebrews 11, 1 Thessalonians 4, and Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I hear pages turning. Thank you so much. I'm in Genesis chapter 5 to start, and I'm going to read verses 21 to 24. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. I'm going to start in verse 1, and then I'm going to skip to verse 5. Hebrews 11.1. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Skip to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We'll come back to Hebrews in a moment. We're going to begin in Genesis 5, but before we do, let's bow our heads and pray, please. Lord, it is true what we sang just a few moments ago. You are good. And your grace is sufficient. What a privilege it is to gather together on a Sunday morning. And build up one another in our faith. To pray for one another. Greet one another. And open your word. And hear a message from you. Speak to us today, please, dear God. May your Holy Spirit do a work in us this morning. 
I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the gift of grace and of faith. Help us, Lord, to walk in it. Bless our time, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anyone ever taken the time to research their genealogy? Anyone? A couple. Okay, so you've used like Ancestry.com or another search engine or some other method to trace your family lineage. I, I am fascinated by the thought. I have not invested the time to do so. I am fascinated by the thought. How many of you, when you get to a genealogy in the Bible, you skip it? You don't have to answer that one. (laughs) You get to Genesis chapter 5, or Numbers 26, or the first eight chapters of 1 Chronicles, or even the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 or Luke chapter 3, it is tempting, is it not? I used to be tempted by that. Uh, But I have come to realize that there's a lot of information in a genealogy. Uh, As a matter of fact, as you know, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture, not just parts of it. So that includes the genealogies. They're profitable. They're useful because they are God-inspired. They're in your Bible for a reason. Everything in Scripture is so inspired that by God that he saw fit for it to be there. And that includes your genealogy. They're useful for doctrine, the teaching of truth. They're useful for reproof, that is the rebuking of sin. They're useful for correction, correcting error, And they're useful for instruction in righteousness, guiding believers in righteous living. And as an aside, let me just tell you that um, it interests me that uh, in some manuscripts, the same word used for reproof in 2 Timothy 3.16 is also used in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof of things not seen. Genealogies are useful. Uh, They provide a historical record, and they provide a timeline. But in Genesis 5, in this particular genealogy, I can stand here on a Sunday morning and teach the doctrine of sin. From Genesis chapter 5, I want you to look, please, at... Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read the first five verses. This is what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, 
In the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters, and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. From this point in the narrative, this is a genealogy from Adam to Noah in all of chapter 5. And each reference to the next male descendant follows that which uh, is described in the first five verses for Adam. They identify him by name. They give his age at the time of the birth of his son. They give the length of his remaining years of life. They give his total number of years, followed by these words, and he died. Look at verse 8. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Look at verse 11. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Look at verse 14. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Look at verse 17. And all the days of Mahalaleel, impressed, right? <laughs> Mahalaleel, were 895 years, and he died. Look at verse 20. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Skip to verse 27. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years, and he died. Look at verse 30. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And then Noah is introduced. And if you turn over just a few pages to chapter 9, the last verse in chapter 9 is verse 29. It says this. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. The genealogy from Adam to Noah puts an exclamation point on what God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2. I needed to turn back just a couple pages. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The penalty of sin is death. Here's what Moses, the writer of Genesis, does. He introduces the creation of the world in chapter 1. He fleshes out, no pun intended, the creation of man in chapter 2. Then in chapter 3, the fall happens, and sin enters the world. So chapter 4 
is a result of the fall. Cain slays his brother Abel. In chapter 5, and he died, and he died, and he died. It is the result of sin in the world. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And it's true. And Genesis 5 proves the truth of what Paul wrote to the Romans. The wages of sin is death. Here's an elementary understanding of that. Two things. Death is physical and death is spiritual. Death is physical. The Bible promises it is appointed unto men once to die. And so sin results in my physical death. Not right away. Not immediately. But it will happen. My life will end one day because of sin. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death is passed upon all men. For all have sinned. Death is physical. Secondly, death is spiritual. We are all guilty of sin. And as sinners, we are therefore separated from God. And so when we die physically, if we do so apart from Christ, we'll experience a second death. And that's what Revelation calls it. A second death that is the more serious of the two. We'll all die physically But praise God, you do not have to die spiritually and spend eternity separated from God in hell. It's an eternal spiritual death. Pastor Bill talked about this last week when he talked about the shedding of blood covering sin. That is the better sacrifice. That was the example of Abel. So if the gift of God is eternal life, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If the gift of God is eternal life, and I accept it as a free gift from him, what then is my response to him? Let me introduce you to a man named Enoch. The name Enoch means dedicated or initiated. Uh, And it gives a preview, his name gives a preview of uh, the subsequent conduct of his life. He was dedicated to walking with God and to living for God. And we'll talk about what walking with God means in a little bit. The narrative in Genesis chapter 5 changes when Enoch is introduced. It's a very... Uh, different one. Uh, It's interesting to me that everyone on this list in Genesis 5, at the time Enoch is born, everyone is alive. From Adam to Enoch, if you do the math, everyone is alive. So Adam was his great, 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 great grandfather. I think I have it right. Four greats, that's pretty good. Four greats is pretty good. And he was alive when Enoch was born. And if you do the math, again, 
you'll notice that when Enoch was taken up to be with God, the only two people in Genesis 5 who are not alive were Adam, who passed away about, I think, 57 years before Enoch was taken up, and Noah, who was not yet born. Everyone else was alive. As opposed to the other patriarchs, Enoch did not die. But God resurrected him from life, not allowing him to pass through death, but bringing him up from earth to be with him. From this genealogy, I can not only argue the doctrine of the penalty of sin, I can argue the doctrine of the resurrection. Because while this is a dismal chapter, when you talk about, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, there's one who didn't die. And God saw fit to raise Enoch up. There is a resurrection. And while you read this chapter and realize the penalty, the wages of sin is death. There is hope. And God wants to make sure you understand that. There is hope. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He referred to himself as the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. There were those in Jesus' day who didn't believe in the resurrection. There are those today who do not believe in life after death. Enoch proves the resurrection because he simply didn't disappear. God didn't snap his fingers and Enoch was gone with no place to go. God raised him up. He took him up. He didn't pass through physical death, but he was raised from life directly into God's presence. The word that Hebrews 11 uses is translated from physical life to God's presence in a moment. The hope of the resurrection is real, and we can count on it simply based on the promise of God and on the experience of Enoch. You're in Genesis 5. Turn to Genesis 6. You may not even have to turn a page. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. Enoch was not alive at the time of Noah's birth, but based on what's written only a couple generations later, the culture was an ungodly one. And it was getting worse and worse. The Bible says there was only evil in the hearts of men continually to the point that God was sorry he created man The culture was not conducive to walking with God. You do not have to turn here, but I'm going to 
the small New Testament letter of Jude. I'm going to read three verses here, starting in verse 14. Jude is one chapter in length. Verse 14 references Enoch. And it says this, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Now listen, from here point, count how many ungodlies you hear. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Does that sound like an ungodly culture to you? Ungodly. They were opposed to God. Verse 16 says this, These are murmurers. They murmured against God. These are complainers, never satisfied, walking after their own lusts. No repentance at all. It's all about them. And their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Flattery to get their own way. This is the culture that Enoch lived in. And yet he walked with God. But from Genesis 5, it doesn't appear that was always the case. If you read carefully what the Bible says in verse 22 of chapter 5, listen to what this says. Genesis 5, 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. So based on the way Moses writes these words, it Sounds as if it was the birth of his son Methuselah that caused Enoch to desire to walk with God. We don't know if if Enoch walked uh, with God or if he was indifferent toward God before Methuselah's birth. But based on the way Moses writes this, that he walked with God for 300 years after the birth of Methuselah, it sounds like that instant, that moment, meant something to his life, and he changed, and he, he walked with God. He pleased God. There are moments in life that make people decide, I need to change, and I need to repent of this life and follow after the Lord. Perhaps it's the death of a loved one or a near-death experience yourself or something else, whatever it is. In Enoch's case, it was the birth of a son. How many of you have young children at home? Young children at home. There we go. Nice. A few. Mike, Justin. Walking with God is perfectly compatible with having a family and raising children. You do not have to wait for your children to be grown and out of the house before you serve the Lord or before you walk with them. 
You don't have to be single or live in a convent or a monastery to be close to the Lord. You simply have to be faithful and follow him. Enoch lived for a total of 365 years, and we cannot comprehend that. I, I get that. We can't comprehend 365 years, let alone 969 that Methuselah lived. So, so that we can get our minds wrapped around their lifespans, uh, I'm just going to divide each one by 10 and round up. My math might be off a little bit. I apologize. Let's just say, instead of living 930 years, Adam lived 93 years. We can wrap our head around that. Uh, Seth, 91. Enos, 90. Canaan, 91. Mahalalel, 89. Jared, 96. Enoch, 36. Methuselah, 97. Lamech, 77. Okay, I do believe that Adam lived 930 years. I do believe Methuselah lived 969 years. I believe that. But just for the moment, just for now, so that we can understand, we can kind of relate better. If everyone else were living between 77 and 97 years, how would you feel about getting only 36 years of life on earth? 36, and then it's done. Enoch walked with God in a culture that was ungodly, that was opposed to God. Enoch pursued him. Life was not about himself, but about the creator, about the one who gave Enoch life. And so it was an easy transition for him to leave this life and to be in the presence of God. Enoch had a greater hope that wasn't here on earth. The writer of Hebrews, later in Hebrews chapter 11, calls it a better thing. There was a better thing that God had prepared for him. Listen to this. I... You know, I like Max Lucado. I've referenced him many times. This is from a devotional that a, a friend gave to me and my wife, and we did it last year together, together every day and loved it. The verse, this is dated February 22nd. So February 22nd, 2017, my wife and I read this. That kind of faith is what it's called. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, 1. You'll look a long time before you'll find a better man than Wes Bishop. He had a quick smile, warm handshake, and serious weakness for ice cream. He was a pillar in the small Texas town of Sweetwater. He raised three great sons, one of whom married my daughter, Jenna. Wes was... Wes never even missed a day of work until he was diagnosed with brain cancer. We asked God to remove it. For a time, it appeared that he had, but then the symptoms returned with a vengeance. 
In a matter of weeks, Wes was immobilized at home and in hospice care. The sons took turns keeping vigil so their mom could rest. They placed a baby monitor next to Wes's bed. Though he'd hardly spoken a word in days, they wanted to hear him if he called out. One night he did. But he didn't call for help. He called for Christ. About one o'clock in the morning, the youngest son heard his father on the monitor. Jesus, I want to thank you for my life. You have been good to me, and I want you to know, when you are ready to take me, I am ready to go. Those were the final words Wes spoke. Within a couple days, Jesus took him home. Then he ends with this. He says, I want that kind of faith, don't you? The faith that turns to God in the darkest hour, praises God with the weakest body, the kind of faith that trusts God in his promises and knows where you're headed when this life is done. Ah, whew. Walking with God. Enoch walked with God here. Walking with God is simply having an intimate communion with God. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3 that two cannot walk together except they be agreed. So Enoch was in agreement with God in every area of his life. He put his full faith and trust in God. You must be in agreement with God. If you're going to walk with him, you must be in agreement with him. And the only way you're going to be in agreement with him is to know his word and to be in his word and read his word. If you have something in your Bible at 1 Thessalonians, turn to chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you didn't, that's okay. But I'm going to read the first two verses. Listen to what this says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. How you ought to walk, how you're going to please the Lord, is in knowing his commands that Paul is referencing in chapter 2. But to do it, you have to be in his word. You have to be in his word. His commands are found in his word. We need to know his word and be in his word and meditate on his word. And be obedient to his word. The word walk is a biblical uh, expression referencing uh, Christian conduct. This is the conduct of all believers. And this is what the Bible says about our conduct. Our Christian walk. It says we're to walk in newness of life. So our conduct should be a contrast between our old life before Christ. And the new life we now have as believers. The Bible says we're to walk after the Spirit. 
We're to walk in honesty. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. We're to walk in good works. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in wisdom. We're to walk in truth. We're to walk after the commandments of the Lord. It's not impossible to walk with God. If it were, the Bible wouldn't command that we do so. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of thee but to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? But here's the rub. Walking is not possible in my own power. I need the Holy Spirit's intervention in my life before I can do it. Because if I'm going to try it on my own, I'm going to fail drastically. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'm in verses 6 and 7. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul wrote this, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Three things must be true of you before you're going to walk with the Lord. Number one, you need to be rooted in Christ. Two, you must be firm in your faith. And three, you must have a heart of thanksgiving in every situation. Being anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And it is then that the Holy Spirit will empower you to walk with him. Time is flying by. Turn to Hebrews 11, please. And I'll try to wrap this up quickly. I'll try to wrap this up quickly. Is this clock right, Dennis? Do you know? Okay. All right, um, we're going to wrap up. Hebrews 11. Uh, look at verses 5 and 6. We've already read them, so uh, you know. The Bible uses the, the phrase... Enoch pleased God in the New Testament in place of Enoch walked with God. Enoch's faith was the foundation for his pleasing God. And his pleasing God was the reason for his translation. That word translated talks about that sudden removal from mortality without death to immortality. Apart from faith, verse 6 says, it's impossible to please God at all. Faith works. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, not only that he exists, but that he is the source of all being. And that he, the unseen God, is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let me ask you this. Are you seeking him? 
Are you striving for him? Faith is lived out through obedience. So where are our priorities? When I think of Enoch, I think of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ. And to die is even better. Enoch had that idea. For me to live is for you, O Lord. And to be caught up with you is even better. 36 years is just fine with me. Paul said the same thing. So did a man named Jim Elliott. Familiar with Jim Elliott? He was a missionary to the Alka Indians and was martyred in 1956, bringing the gospel uh, to Ecuador and the Alcas. Jim Elliott wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'll give my life here, Lord, for eternity there. He said this too. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. He was 28 when he was martyred. For me to live is Christ. How would you fill in that blank? For me to live is what? Let me wrap all this up. What is a faithful person? One of the reasons I like the story of Enoch so much is because, to be honest with you, I see him as someone like you and me. He didn't do anything spectacular to make the hall of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. He simply walked with God. He didn't build an ark like Noah. Some of these events were huge. Building an ark when it never rained. Some of them were small. Abel gave a better offering. Noah built an ark. Abraham left his homeland for a promise and offered up Isaac on the altar. Isaac blessed his sons. Jacob blessed his grandsons. Joseph asked that his bones be brought out of Egypt. Moses chose to suffer with the Israelites rather than live in a palace. And the list goes on and on. But Enoch, he simply walked with God. Based on what Hebrews 11 says and what we read in Genesis 5, we don't see anything of spectacular uh, works that Enoch did to prove his faith, except that he lived by faith. So listen to this. As I, I really am wrapping up. Everything I say from this point on is in a vacuum, okay? Don't take one sentence out of what I'm about, about to say Uh, and say I'm wrong. Uh, it, It all goes together. God is not calling you to be a Noah. He's not calling you to build an ark. He's not calling you to be a Jim Elliot and to go to Ecuador. Hang with me, Matt. He's not calling you to that. He's not calling you to full-time pastoral ministry or to be a youth pastor, or a Christian school teacher, even. He's calling you 
to be an Enoch. He's calling you to be faithful. And he's calling you to a life of obedience. He's calling you to obey his word. And in order to do that, you need to know his word. It can't just sit on a shelf. You need to be in it. You need to meditate on this word. Chew on this word. Pray over this word. God's calling you to obedience. So if you're going to walk with him, you must obey him. If you're going to please him, you must obey him. He's calling you to love him. He's calling you to love others. He's calling you to forgive others as you've been forgiven. He's calling you to serve others and humble yourself. He's calling you to be faithful. And then in your faithfulness, he may call you to be a Noah and build an ark. Or he may call you to international missions. Matt? Or he may call you to be a pastor. Or he just may call you to be a police officer. Or a Sunday school teacher. Or a greeter. Or a nursery worker. Or a children's church teacher. I know this. In your faithfulness, he will call you to something. Are you willing for me to live as Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your grace. Oh, and I thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross. We are preparing ourselves for the Lord's Supper even now. Bless the remainder of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Small.